Bibles with you this morning, turn to Mark chapter 1. I love hymns like that. I love songs where the writer was simply trying to proclaim how wonderful Jesus is. Songs are written so well. The universe and the world in which we live and the lives we live in it are all under the shadow of Mark 1. In the coming of Jesus, God fulfilled the purpose he had since before creation. Mark 1 describes the initiation of God's sovereign action in our world to transform our world. Its future, of which you and I are a part, is being molded forever in what we read in Mark 1. Jesus Christ proclaims that the time is fulfilled, the old era is ending, and the kingdom of God is at hand, the new era is beginning. This morning, and God willing, every Sunday, we make this proclamation. Everything necessary to redeem sinners, everything, has been accomplished by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He accomplished all of it. We do not proclaim a work that was started by grace, that we help complete by our works. Jesus Christ has come, and because He has come, The kingdom of God is broken into this world, and therefore the time has come. The kingdom of God is in the very midst of us, which means full pardon. And salvation for sinners has been accomplished. The time has come to repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus Christ and everything he means for us in this moment. Father, for your name's sake, for your glory, for the sake of your people, and the sake of those you mean to save, fill me and consume me with your Holy Spirit that your word would be proclaimed and not my own. Please watch over me so that that takes place and take control for the speaker and the hearer. We ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verses 9 through 11 to start of Mark chapter 1. He writes, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Imagine for a moment that you're in the crowd waiting to be baptized by this prophet, John the Baptist, it seems like the entire city of Jerusalem is there. People are pushing and shoving as everybody tries to get close, to get their turn, to get a glimpse of him. And maybe you've been here a few times, but last week you heard John the Baptist say that one was coming after him whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. And when he came, he would baptize the people with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, as John's gospel records... The prophet locks eyes on a man in the crowd and he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist in that moment and others like it fulfilled his vocation. This was him. He was the one. His name was Jesus. And then he presents himself to be baptized. It didn't make sense at first. For the promised Messiah to be baptized. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
Jesus had no sin. But Jesus says in Matthew that it's fitting for him to fulfill all righteousness. John's baptism was law in Israel. It was required by God. And the Savior would keep every requirement that God had given to his people. The baptism of Jesus is a picture of what he has come to do for us exactly. The baptism of Jesus shows us that he will not only give up his life to forgive our sins, he will also obey every word that comes from the mouth of God to provide us with our righteousness. If you ask a little child in Sunday school what Jesus did for them, they will answer, and they'll answer correctly, he died on the cross for my sins. That's true. May it ever be so. It's just not the whole story of what Jesus did for us. And our omission of that, even in our semantics, is extremely problematic for how we view the Christian life. If all that was necessary to redeem sinners, or to redeem sinners was for a substitute to bear the punishment we deserve, if that's all that was necessary, why 33 years of life on earth for Jesus? What's the point of that? He could have descended from heaven as a man, gone straight to Calvary, died on the cross, risen and ascended, and our sin problem would be fixed. But we need so much from God. We not only need to be forgiven, beloved, we also need to be made righteous. Jesus lived a life of complete obedience to God so that just as my sin transferred to him when he died, his righteousness would transfer to me when he rose from the dead. This is the whole gospel. One day God will look at me, Tony Romano, and he will see his blood and his righteousness, the right, the blood and righteousness of Jesus over my account, standing in for me, and by that, by this alone, will I be saved. Jesus came to fulfill everything that was considered righteousness. So, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Immediately, Mark says in verse 10, the heavens were torn open. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, this means Isaiah's new Exodus vision is being fulfilled. The promised end is beginning. God has come to restore his people. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove, and, as John says, remains on Jesus. This is God's anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is the servant. This is the king. As we said, the whole trinity is present at the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the world. The Father sent the Son into the world and into the water. The Holy Spirit descends and remains on him. Does that mean that this is when Jesus became deity? That he was only human at birth, but he became God incarnate? At age 30 in his baptism, no, Jesus is the word that was with God and was God from eternity past. He has, always, is, and will always be divine. What is the significance of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus? The Holy Spirit is anointing the human nature of Jesus. We often think that Jesus performed his miracles because of his divine nature. But actually, according to scripture, he didn't perform anything until after this Moment, he performed what he did in his human nature by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwelt within him and on him. This is the moment God empowers 
his fully divine and fully human son to accomplish the mission he had been given. And then God commends him publicly. This is one of only three times in the Gospels that the voice of God is heard audibly. Here in verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And if you think about that for a minute, how could you have heard that and then deny that that's who he is? That's what the sin problem is. That's what we are. You could have heard God speak audibly from heaven and still deny what he said. If we don't get saved, we aren't getting saved. Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42 converge in the mouth of God in verse 11 at the baptism of Jesus. This is God's anointed king to whom all the nations will bow. And this is God's anointed servant who will accomplish the task of salvation for his people by his life, his death, and his resurrection. Beloved, this means that a son of man, a human being, has emerged onto the scene with whom God is pleased. He has no sin. He's not tainted by the fall. This means that what God requires from humanity has finally appeared. What could that mean for us? Well, a hint comes right away in the next verses. Look at 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately, there's that word again, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. It's very interesting that the first thing the Holy Spirit does after descending on Jesus is not move him to preach or start doing miracles. After all, he was right in the middle of a crowd. Instead, immediately following this, immediately, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. The Greek here is the same as the Hebrew In Genesis, when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, the Spirit then didn't gently nudge or whisper to Jesus. He drove him, pushed him. The meaning of the word here is that Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit, driven urgently into a desolate place in the wilderness. God's chosen son in the world. If we know the story of the Bible, there's tension here because God's chosen son, whoever he is in the world, has never fared well in the wilderness, ever in a desolate place, in a time of testing. They've always failed. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness grumbling and doubting God, sinning against him. What about this son of God? He immediately undergoes a time of testing. And if he fails, if he fails, the mission is over before it even starts. And there will be no salvation for sinners. Beloved, if Jesus can't succeed, no one can. No one. And this is when Satan comes to him. This is when he makes his move. After 40 days in the wilderness without food and water, when Jesus is hungry and thirsty and exhausted, fully God and fully human, feeling it all, everything you and I would have felt, and probably more in this situation in the wilderness. And what does Satan do? Think about this. Mark doesn't include the details. Let's just, because of the theme, let's mark it down here. What does Satan say? If... You are the son of God. If you really are 
the Son of God. That's the same method with which he tempted Eve. Same. Did God really say? But according to Scripture, what were the last words Jesus heard from God before he went into the wilderness? This is my beloved Son. All Jesus had to do is what you and I must do, beloved. Remember the word that was spoken. It is enough to resist the power of hell. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus succeeded. That's what faith looks like. This is the son the world has been waiting on. He's here. This is the one for whom we are all so desperate, beloved, whether we realize it or not. A faithful, obedient, consistent human representative who always obeys no matter the pressure, no matter the temptation, no matter the source of it, no matter the circumstance. There the angels ministered to him, provided for him. And as we said a few weeks ago, he sat in peace among wild animals whispering to all creation that the new creation is dawning. It's here. All is going to be made whole again. And then we read this in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Whatever happened with Jesus out in the wilderness confirmed for him in his humanity that he's now able to get on this mission. This is the end at the beginning, in a sense. Already, we're in chapter 1, 15 verses in, and the message is ready to be proclaimed. The one who makes it so we can be rescued has finally arrived. Notice the way Mark words this. After John the Baptist was arrested, I think Mark is telling us about two eras here, one that's ending and one that's beginning as Jesus goes public. The time of fulfillment begins after John's ministry as the forerunner of Jesus is completed. That's the end of the Old Covenant era. The kingdom comes after that. Mark regards history as the history of redemption. And it's being divided into two periods here. The parable of the wedding guests later in 2.18 through 20 reinforces this, the time of asceticism associated with John the Baptist in the wilderness is going to be contrasted with the time of celebration that comes with Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry in Mark in the region of Galilee. It's here that Jesus Christ begins to proclaim the gospel of God. This is why the kingdom is at hand. The king has appeared. The sphere in which God reveals his work of redemption is real space and time. It's real history. This is the truth that's at the heart of Jesus' announcement here. The version I use, the ESV, says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. Your translation may say the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is one of the textual differences that exists due to the number of copies that we have of the original manuscripts. One of the things that makes the Bible so reliable um, above other historical documents. There's no clear-cut winner in the number of uses between the gospel of God and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Both phrases are found in almost an equal number of copies, but don't don't let a little thing like that throw you when you see that. There's no significant difference in the meaning there. 
Both phrases mean that Jesus Christ came preaching the gospel of God, which was the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of God, which is what Mark calls it here, is what Paul calls it in Romans 1.1. The gospel is not simply the good news about God, then. It's the gospel that belongs to God. It comes from Him. It's His news. He is the author. Jesus has come declaring the Father's gospel. That word gospel is the word that means Jesus Christ has come to accomplish the work that is necessary to bring us back into fellowship with our Creator and redeem the world from the curse and all the corruption, evil, and futility that have resulted. And so the kingdom of God is the personal visitation of God to our world in order to manifest redemption. Look at verse 15 again. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Get on team Jesus is what that means. Something is happening that is changing the world. And this is the program with which you want to be associated. Notice that these words here in Mark, notice this, they're not addressed to a specific audience, are they? They're just there. It's, it's meant to be read as the proclamation that shapes the rest of the whole gospel Mark wrote. That verse 15 shapes everything in the gospel of Mark, the whole narrative. Every time Jesus performs a miracle then, every time he teaches or preaches, every time he argues with the religious leaders, when he suffers, dies, and rises again, it's all done and said in light of the fact in verse 15. Of course I'm doing this. Of course I'm teaching this. Of course I'm giving up my life. Of course I've risen The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Beloved, the kingdom of God is not a place. In Mark, it's mainly a way of talking about God's activity in our world. The kingdom of God is really the reigning presence of Jesus in whom God is acting as a king who brings salvation to mankind. Yes, It will fully and finally visibly appear at the end of the age. But what Jesus so shockingly revealed is that it had already begun to appear in human history in him and his mission, his ministry. Jesus begins here to overcome evil, to deliver people from its power and from sin and death, to bring them into the blessing of God's saving reign. The kingdom of God is the domain where God puts everything right back to the way it was intended To be, Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet on the prince of the power of the air and the curse of Adam. The bell has tolled for them both. Jesus is here now. Satan thinks this is his world, that he's the king. And we see that right away, the kingdom means that God is going to press his claim on humanity. Neutrality will be impossible. Neutrality is a position. Don't, don't fool yourself. If Jesus is the king, neutrality is a position. It's rejection. It's denial. There's one option here. There's one thing that makes sense to do now that Jesus has come, whether you lived in Palestine in 30 AD, or Moundsville, West Virginia in 2021. Repent and believe the gospel. 
the time has come. The presence of Jesus requires us to come to Him. Repent is a command. Believe is a command. And what does Paul tell us about commands? We can't do them. We're going to need grace to respond to this command. Because that's the command. There is no other option. There's no way around this. Jesus must be believed upon. We must repent of our rebellion against God that comes out in all of our sinfulness. We must believe in Him. We must repent of these things. There is no other thing to do when it comes to Jesus for any of us. Nobody gets around that. There isn't a second way. There isn't a loophole. It's not simply when Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. It's it's not simply that an allotted amount of time has passed. It means that the decisive moment in human history has arrived in the person of Jesus. Beloved, by the reckoning of Almighty God, who himself is the creator and sustainer of time, we are now at the threshold of the end of time. He's decreed it. But the new age of salvation has already begun right in the midst of it. Jesus is saying at the outset of his ministry in Mark, lay down your agendas. Stop living for yourself. Everybody in the world and in this room right now is building a kingdom of their own, of which they are the king. And Jesus is coming to say back then, and his word echoes into eternity, I'm the king. It's my kingdom. I'm in charge. It belongs to me. You align with me. Stop living for yourself. That's what this means. Stop rebelling against God. Confess your sins to Him. Ask for His grace. Jesus has come before the end of all things now to offer amnesty to the rebels. The time has come. It has begun. Jesus is proclaiming that the future is set. There's a kingdom coming and he is the king. And it will wash over the entire cosmos. Mark is different than Matthew and Luke. Not better, just different. He doesn't spend any time on the birth narrative of Jesus. His focus is the contents of Jesus' ministry. Remember when we introduced Mark, I talked about how Tim Keller had said that the essence of other religions is essentially advice. Christianity is essentially news. Jesus Christ has come at the beginning of the end of time, here in Mark 1, as the anointed king and anointed servant of God to accomplish full salvation for sinners and usher in the new age. Repent of your sins and believe in him. That's it. That's the message. Extra, extra, read all about it. Full pardon and salvation for even the worst of us has arrived. The King is coming. Come to Jesus. And if we wanted a glimpse into how sufficient and how certain the work of Jesus is going to be, look at how fast the movement is in the text from pronouncement to action now on the part of Jesus. Pick it up in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Excuse me. And Jesus said to them, 
follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. Dad will be okay. And followed him. Now, think, already? This is very quick. No, no training? No, no. Follow me. Okay. Leave everything behind. We think of, I think, we probably think of it like they were very poor. So this was, this was a lucrative business. They were doing fine. And this person looks at them, follow me. You know what, let's leave everything behind and follow him. Jesus is recruiting more people to proclaim the kingdom has come and it's time to believe the gospel before we even get out of chapter 1. Mark wants it clear who Jesus is and what his appearing means for us as human beings. There's no bigger deal than salvation. This is a moment of what R.C. Sproul calls profound crisis for humanity here. Well, what's the crisis? It's this. Those who receive Jesus will receive eternal life, but those who do not will pass into God's eternal judgment. There's no way around this and we can make all the arguments and offer up all the talk we want to it's a fact this is the way it is beloved and there's not a nice way to say it don't patronize unbelieving people this is a serious crisis this is what's happening jesus is really saying here in essence the kingdom of god has arrived And none of you are ready. So repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe me when I speak is what Jesus is saying. We're starting our program. We're going to run this thing. Get on my side. I know you've been against me. I'm here to offer amnesty to you and adoption. It's not just legal what Jesus is doing It's personal. Repent and believe the gospel is all we can do, beloved. This is all we can do. The king is telling us, look, I'm here. It's coming. All you can do is cling to me. And here's here's the really sobering thing. We talked about it a few minutes ago that Mark also actually reveals to us here in an illustration or demonstration in the calling of these first disciples. You can't follow Jesus if he doesn't call you. Right? We we have no inkling whatsoever that Simon and Andrew or James and John had any thought about Jesus in the kingdom or were sympathetic to him or had even been baptized by John the Baptist. We don't know that the Gospels choose not to include any of that, if it's even there. Jesus chose them. They did not choose him. You say, well, they decided. Yes, because he had picked them. That's a picture of how it works for all of us. Meaning, we are in much more dire need than we first realized, beloved. We won't choose Jesus if he doesn't call us first. This shouldn't be surprising. 
The Bible is crystal clear about this. Paul talks about it. Jesus talked about it in John 3, as we mentioned before to Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Paul says the natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. If a miracle doesn't happen that brings me to life, I will not believe. If the word of Jesus that woke Lazarus up from the grave doesn't wake me up from my grave, I'm not coming. We are dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins, not sick. I'm not laying on a bed and the medicine's right there and if I just reach out and take it, I'll live. I'm dead, the Bible says. Dead people don't take medicine. We need a miracle. We need to take Jesus a million times more seriously than we take him. His word gives life. Say, well, why preach then? Because the gospel wakes people up. It's the means God has chosen. If he doesn't do this, we don't get saved. When you and I feel the desire to come to him, it's because he's calling us. And if you say, well, I I, I want to hear Jesus, but I don't, you come too. Come to him. He's doing that too. It's Jesus that makes you feel desperate for Jesus. And he will not turn away any who come to him. So there's literally no reason you can come up with to stay away. Just come. Because he's bound by his word out of his own choice. And if he tells you, I won't turn you away if you come to me, then you should come. Whether you feel anything or not. Just Come to Jesus. He will take you. He will save you. The time is at hand. There's nothing else for you to do. All Jesus is requires, or all Jesus requires, is that we come to Him, that we repent and believe. And the Bible reveals to us that we can't do that. So in order for it to happen, we need to beg, and he is filled with mercy and will answer. So why does he say it if you can't do it? Beloved, that's the whole point. It always has been. You can't obey him. People heard the voice of God come from heaven. They will deny that Jesus is who he says he is. They didn't have microphones and speakers back then. Who did they think was doing it? Right, who, who did that? Where did they think that voice was? How do you explain that away? That wasn't really, it was somebody else with like a, a cosmically loud voice that was hiding behind a rock and we didn't know he was there. And how do you deny that? If you're so corrupt inside, you can't accept it. Right? My goodness, we need, we just, the songs we need to sing because we've been saved. Beloved. It's been a miracle from start to finish. We need him. Just come to him. Don't Again, don't try to parse the theology. That's not the point here. The point is to reveal the, the depth of our need. You come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He won't accept me. No, that's telling him he's a liar. Don't do that. Come to him. Right, that, that, that's all it takes. Jesus, you're right, I'm wrong. You died and rose from the grave, not me. Save me, save me. Prophets always had authority, right, when they spoke, always. But Mark is beginning to show us in, in 16 through 20 that Jesus has a different kind of authority 
which will run through his whole gospel, than regular rabbis or regular prophets. Old Testament prophets never called others to follow them. You remember, they, they charged people to follow Yahweh. Jesus says, follow me. Right? And disciples usually chose their rabbis, not vice versa. But Jesus wants to show us that you can't have a relationship with him unless he calls you. His word determines everything. The authority of the king, the prerogative of the king is being revealed to us in 16 through 20 after we just heard about it in 14 and 15. So for all who have ears to hear through the word of the gospel, Jesus Christ is calling you to come to him and to remain in him. The king was here to gather in the exiles, his lost sheep in Israel, and soon out of the entire world. He's recruiting fishermen and hunters, as prophesied in Jeremiah 16, 16, because he is going to accomplish all that is necessary to rescue them. The rescue mission of the kingdom has begun. So believer, believer, stop trying to earn your own salvation. Stop it. We aren't saved because we did something. We're saved because Jesus did something. What Paul strives for, do you remember him talking about that in Philippians 3? Aren't you supposed to strive? What Paul strived for was to leave behind any of his own righteousness as the means of his standing before God or the Christ he so desired to obtain would not be known. Leave behind. Strive to enter the rest, the writer of Hebrews says. The striving the believer does is to quit trying to learn or to earn his salvation or her salvation by their works. You have to strive to move away from your own flesh's desire to do part of the saving. That's the striving of the believer. It's finished, remember? You aren't striving to earn it. You're striving to stop believing that you have to. That's the striving the believer does. The work is done. You and I rise or fall on the success of Jesus from the wilderness to the tomb, beloved. And he stood. He endured. He finished it. So will you and I then. All has been done. All has been done. The time is now. Repent of trying to earn it and believe the gospel. Join God's means of accomplishing this and stop trying to do it on your own. There's no reason for stress and anxiety about our spiritual condition when Jesus has lived, died, risen again, brought the kingdom, fulfilled the time. There's no reason for that. There's a king reigning right now, and his edict is to believe in him is to be saved. Stop disagreeing with him. Unbelievers, stop trying to earn your salvation. Whether you think you'll ever face God or not, or if there even is a God at all in the first place, you and I both know. You and I both know there's something inside of us that just won't leave us alone. You know God is there. You know He's there. And you know you have to answer to Him.
That's why you're trying so hard not to. Stop it. Stop. All that is necessary for you to have salvation is the person and work of Jesus on your behalf. Repent and believe in Him. Salvation is not a matter and never has been, or I wouldn't be here. Salvation is not a matter of the quality of its recipient, but the quality of the one who bought it. Whether or not anyone can be saved has never been a question of what kind of person they are, but what kind of person Jesus is, what kind of person the Savior is. The question facing us is not, can I be saved? The question is, what kind of Savior is there for me? And I'm here to tell you what Mark told us. Jesus is the King and the Servant and the Shepherd and the Savior with whom God is well pleased. Because He fully and perfectly accomplished everything God designed. I don't want to try and be pleasing. I want to be in the One with whom He is pleased. That's salvation. That's precisely what it means. It is to be saved not just from my sin, but my lack of righteousness. If I can earn that over a 20 to 50, 60 year span, what kind of God is He? That's all it would take? No, I have an eternal deficit, beloved. An eternal one. An unattainable mark to hit. If it's not hit for me, If the gap isn't spanned for me, I will not be saved. It's going to take a little bit more than trying really hard not to cuss to get my eternity. This is what we do. We we relegate sins to the, I can probably keep that one. Almost every page of this book, Old and New Testament, is a command that I... Might be able to keep sometimes, and, and, but usually won't. And we're talking about God. We're not talking about a despot. We're not talking about Allah. We're not talking about Buddha. We're not talking about enlightenment. We're talking about salvation from pure, eternal, ineffable, transcendent holiness. How in the world am I going to earn that here? He's, he's not like, God isn't like that. He's, he's not just long white beard, grumpy, It's not who he is, that we have no sense of this holiness, none. And Jesus is here like, listen to me, repent and believe, that's what you can do. Stop all this. He's saying that in the midst of a crowd that was probably more morally upright than most crowds that have ever gathered on planet earth. They needed to repent and believe the gospel? Of course they did. God isn't satisfied with treats. Stop trying to earn this. Believer, unbeliever, we can't. We can't. We can't. What about my works? The Holy Spirit abides in you, believer. He will bear His fruit. Stop counting. Stop measuring. Repent and believe the gospel. Unbeliever. Look, there's not a list I can give you. There's there's not an amount 
you can do. There, there's not enough you can perform. Repent and believe Jesus. That's the message, whether you're a sinner or a saint. Whether you're saved or unsaved, that's the message. Repent and believe the gospel. Just come to Jesus. The edict from the king is not that you must earn it or become worthy of it. The king is telling us very clearly, look, you don't need to get cleaned up to take a bath. And the funny thing is, you're a thousand times more filthy than you can possibly imagine. That's why I'm here. And I'm not just saying that to you, I'm saying it to me. We are all in the same boat and it's going down. And Jesus knows all of it. You ever just, if if you take nothing out of this today, take this. Jesus knew precisely what he was covering for you when he died for you. Every sin you have, are, and will commit, he died for every single one of them on purpose, with knowledge, or there is no salvation. Gee, I can't even deal with grace like that. Yeah, neither can I. So just come and stay. He's got it taken care of. And we're not making, we're not making sin a light thing. It cost the Son of God his blood and his pain and his broken body and his sweat and the spit of rebels and all of these things. God takes sin more seriously than any committed human being ever could. No question. But that's the point. It's done. Don't you try to be Jesus. Don't try to prove to God how serious you are. It will not be enough and it's demeaning. Throw yourself onto Christ. Just do it. Don't, don't, just do it. Just come to Jesus. For Mark, the world we live in is the world where God reigns as a king. To reject him, it's invalid. To reject him is to be in collusion with and under the sway of the devil and his powers. And people that resist him resist him precisely because he is the king and they are not. And we haven't gotten out of Mark 1 before that's clear. Jesus proclaims here in these opening verses that God's reign is invading the world in a new way. Right? His, his kingdom is not only a, a, a far-off future hope for the end or a world-ending eruption. It is a divine reality at work within real time and history as we speak. It's everywhere. The proof is everywhere. Everywhere you look, you find scoundrels like me that have embraced this Jesus. How did that happen? You want proof of the kingdom and reality of God? Talk to sinners. How do I love him? How do I love him? Well, the Bible says because he loved me first. But I mean, how am I here? How am I not out doing what I want to do? It, look, I'll tell you a secret as a, as a preacher. It's not always the first thing I want to do when I get up on Sunday morning to run to church. Sometimes you know what I'd like to do? Not get up. <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm sure it's, I hope it's the same for you. I just made a complete fool of myself, but <laughs> you, look, it's just, it's too, it's, it's too much. Jesus is too much. He's too much. He's too good. He's too sufficient. Like he, 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 
He just he's on you like a like a hawk. He just won't stop. Thank God or I'd be gone. It, it, it can't look. It, you can't. It can't be stopped. It's been tried. Do <laughs> you remember who is probably the audience of this gospel? They're hiding in the catacombs underneath Rome, right? They're, they're about to be killed. And then, if, uh, could you imagine trying to believe it wasn't going to be? Do you think those people knew hiding under the catacombs, having smelled the blood of their family and friends getting murdered? That this was ever going to make its way to a country that didn't even exist yet. And on a Sunday morning in 2021 in Moundsville, West Virginia, on the Ohio River, they're going to be proclaiming the same message and king they believed in. All the work that's been done to stamp it out and it just keeps growing. That's the king. The time has come. Repent and believe the gospel. They were beginning to understand in those catacombs that calling Jesus the king now, it might mean death in this world. No question. It might mean being ostracized by your family. It might mean losing your friends. It, it might mean losing your job. Who knows what it will cost now? Who, who, who knows? Jesus doesn't deny that. Jesus doesn't hide that from those he calls to come to him. But their king they were hearing had overcome the world. He was God's king. And his reign transcends all nationalistic and political connotations, all of them. It supersedes all of that back then, just as it does now, beloved. The kingdom of God means liberation from the real enemy, from sin and death and the curse and the devil and our own flesh and the stranglehold of it and this world on us. Yes, we live in it. But it is not ultimate. The king would be crucified. Doesn't mean he wasn't the king. We live in this world. It is not what determines our destiny. That is only in the hands of the king whose name is Jesus. Full pardon. Full salvation for sinners has been accomplished. The time has come to repent and believe in the gospel. I'm going to pray to dismiss us. I want to tell you, it's true today, it's always true. If you need to talk, if you want to pray anything like that, I'll be here. I'm going to try to get some others prepared so that we have other people ready that can speak with you. Also, if you want to talk about anything or have any questions or if you want to know Jesus, but you just don't know where to start, if, if you're struggling with things, you know him, I'm here. I'll be here. Others are here. We'll make that a little more solid so there are more people you can find and go to that you'd be more comfortable with. But just know that Jesus reigns over everything. So you, you, you could pray in your bathroom if you wanted to. wouldn't make any difference. Just, I'm here. We're here if you need to talk here. Let me pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the King. We praise you that the time is fulfilled, that you are the Lord of history to that extent, and that the kingdom is at hand. 
And Father, we ask that your grace and your spirit would be poured out that many might repent and believe the gospel. Really believe it. Help us believe it, Father. And everything that Jesus is for us. Watch over us as we go. Watch over Moundsville and Glendale and the Ohio Valley and Marshall County, Wetzel County, all the surrounding areas. Father, watch over West Virginia. Watch over America. Watch over our world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask and pray these things in His name. Amen.